Welcome, friends. This is Jubilee Street, a Nick Cave podcast. My name is Ian McCurtis. Jake Curtis. Every week we talk about a different Nick Cave song. This week we're talking about There She Goes, My Beautiful World. The winter cream, the juniper, the cornflower and the chicory. Well, all of the words you said to me are still vibrating in my head. The LBS and the linden tree, the dark and deep. Welcome to Jubilee Street Podcast. Guys. Welcome back. What a week. We made our week. YouTube debut. What a debut it was. And, yeah, what a week. It was a debut. We had an awesome time filming that. Uh, We, (laughs) we, I apologize if the sound quality wasn't great for everybody. We were just kind of, it's okay. We were just trying out a new thing, and we are going to be doing more video component stuff in the future. Uh, so hang on tight because we all loved not seeing Ian's face in, on video. Yeah, we got like some dislikes on there. I don't know if we got four dislikes. Maybe more than that now. I think and maybe I think the mask uh, scares some people. Yeah, I, I think maybe fine. it had to do with the fact that um, I, I'm wondering if it isn't a couple members of the band. Who disliked it? Of the bad seats. I've heard that Warren Ellis <laughs> is notorious for disliking YouTube videos. He doesn't like any videos. He only dislikes. He only likes audio, not video. Yeah, yeah. He he really did not care for the the uh, the video option. But <laughs> yes, um, anything you want to start off with today? So we're talking about there she goes, my beautiful world, which is from. The double album, uh, Abattoir Blues, Liar of Orpheus. Uh, this album came out in 2004. And I think it's... We talked about in a past episode how I think Nick Cave's career, that's kind of like the start of the current era. And I think what makes those two eras different is now his songs become much more personal, much more like autobiographical. In a lot of other songs, he's playing characters and telling stories. And starting with this album, or these two albums, you start seeing him talking about himself way more. Not talking about himself through the lens of another character, just straight up being Nick Cave. And this song fucking rules. Yeah. Yeah, it, it fucking rules. Uh, I... We need to get like a like a Kanye soundboard or something because first thing I thought of was Ultra Light Beam. Yeah, but so if Nick Cave made a gospel album, like this would be the closest thing yet he's gotten to being like like he might as well have just been ordained as a minister before this song came out because then because he's already like eight ninety nine well ninety nine percent of the way there. This song is equal parts like black gospel music. And punk rock. If you put those two things in a blender, you would get this song. I would love for there to be a whole genre of bands that just try to ape this sound. There, I think it's described online as like religious or a, a 
Susan Carpenter of the Los Angeles Times described the album itself as a bounty of gothic rock. Uh, but I think like religious goth would be like <laughs> a funny way to describe it. It, it. it really has that feeling to it. There's like, there's a Depeche Mode album where they do a lot of like gospel elements and that's like goth gospel to me. This is like goth punk. Like this song has like the energy of the Ramones and also, like you said, the ultralight beam Kanye gospel thing. It's just such a We're calling it gunk. We're gunking it up in here. Up the gunks. If you watch any live, like this is the one album cycle I wish I got to see him live on because he toured with like an african-american like choir. Oh, i don't know about african-american but a black choir and there so much to like the live performance uh i did watch two of their performances they did one on channel four and uh live on later is what it's called and then okay so they did a live on later performance uh which looks to be like a british variety or like like a late night, night show, show. And then they played on the uh, Channel 4. And both performances are awesome. Like, this is probably one of the best songs uh, to, to see live from Nick Cave because it's just so energetic. It just, it's a fucking banger. It's just, like, so fun to listen to. A lot of Nick Cave songs are so, like, oppressive and dark. And this song is just fun as fuck. Yeah, it's fun. It reminded me a lot of 15 Feet of Pure White Snow, even though that one's still pretty sad yeah definitely uh i mean this one like rocks way harder or whatever but definitely a similar energy i learned that this was the record where blix uh bargeld uh or bergeld left the band uh i don't know if you knew that or not but i yeah, i saw so i noticed that he wasn't on the personnel for this record Blixa uh, is in a like another band that i can never say the name of right Einsterzenden Newbottom. I think I saw them listed as like associated acts on Wikipedia. Yeah, they're like a German industrial like noise group and like very influential on, on Nine Inch Nails and all that kind of stuff. Swans probably. And so I think his influence on the Bad Seeds has always been the like the noisy aspect, the unconventional aspect. So I do think him leaving is why the Bad Seeds changed so much. This song is so happy and poppy, and I don't think it's something Blixo would have liked. Yeah, well, I mean, you can tell even from the cover of the Abattoir Blues record, it's uh, like a pure white, like kind of cream, cream white color with, um, I don't know, what those flowers are on there. Let me see if I can zoom in on it, but I'm sure those are like flowers are almost always symbolically about purity. So there's definitely like sort of a cleansing element to this record. I'm no big city botanist. I don't know what those flowers are. You know, I, because of COVID, I I can't go out to my local holy water dealer. So (laughs) I had like a big gallon germ of holy water dropped off at my house. Feel bad for the delivery driver because I live on the second floor. (laughs) <laughs> and I put this I put this song on as uh, loud as I could on my speakers, and I had Haley dunk me in that water in the tub for a couple times because, boy, howdy, I just felt like getting fucking baptized after while listening to this song. Yeah, uh, it definitely, 
you have a glow. You have like a literal halo. Well, that's the burn because uh, I had an allergic reaction to the holy water. I don't really know why, but um, I haven't been able to go outside or my skin will start burning. Yeah, if you've ever watched a horror movie, I think it's easy to put two and two together why you might have been burned, but we'll let the listeners make that connection. Well, remember when you made spaghetti? That one time for me, you sent it to me in a bag through USPS, yes, yeah, and yeah. you said ex- you said there was extra garlic, and I was like, oh, I love garlic. And then I started eating it, and my like my tongue started like it literally caught on fire, and I like I got sick, <laughs> and like I don't know what's going on, but my body has been like changing drastically over the last couple months. Um, hey, a lot of us are gaining, you know, the COVID fifteen. You are having some more extreme changes. I'm I'm getting I'm gaining all the weight in my teeth because my two front teeth uh, li- listeners at home can't can't see this but there's just like two two teeth sort of symmetrically on each closer to each of you know the opening of my mouth are like longer and sharper and yeah now you say it I great. never really thought like I've always seen my dog and you know <laughs> she's working on her computer doing the intern work and I've yeah. and recently I'll just start like salivating when i look at her uh oh geez. and i just start thinking of i just start seeing the color red and you know i don't know i guess it's just listening to a lot of nick cave but i you know i don't want to say i'm turning into the v word but i think i think we might be there but uh i don't even anywho. know where to begin with that um blue, yeah let's, let's get back to the song blue the intern dog did type up some notes for me Nick Cave in this song kind of just runs through a grocery list of his influences. Oh, I wrote all these down. I'm going to kind of go through these real quick with a little info. If you want to jump in, Jake, at any point and say anything about any of these people, go ahead. So first we got John Wilmot, who was an English poet in the 1600s. I'm not a big poetry guy, uh, so I don't have much to say about him. It looks like he rebelled against the Puritan church and died of syphilis and alcoholism at age 33. That's what you get for leaving the church. You dumbass. Next we got a Nabokov who wrote Lolita and master of the mark. No, wait, never mind. That's Volgakov. Continue. Sorry. He, uh, holed up in this hotel in Montreux, Switzerland and lived there until the end of his life. He wrote his last novel on index cards, which is what Nick Cave's referencing. And died before it was completed. After this album came out, that last novel was released in 2008, The Unfinished Manuscript. Have you, ba, ba, ba. Read, have you ever read Lolita, Jake? I haven't. Um, I'm not so interested in reading a book about a pedophile. But I know that it is a literary classic. Yeah, I tried to read it um, maybe when I was like 21 or 22. And it made me so uncomfortable that I, you know, I didn't get more than like 10 pages in. I would like to try rereading it now, but it's very beautifully written, very uncomfortable. Give it a shot and let me know what you think. But to me, I think that Nabokov sort of set the tone for people like Woody Allen. And like, I would, I definitely think Woody Allen's, one of his influences, like, film-wise, is probably both the book and the movie version of Lolita. The movie version was directed by Stanley Kubrick. Um, 
that I plan on watching at some point because I do want to, I want to go back through some of his older films like Paths of Glory is this movie, this more wartime movie he did back in 1957 that looks really great. It's in black and white, but, um, if yeah, anyone's so, read it, write in jubileestreetpod at gmail.com because I'm, I'm curious to see other people's thoughts. I'm of two minds about it. Like, I think we absolutely should have books and things from the perspective of, like, fucked up, flawed characters. I don't think you shouldn't be allowed to write a book from that perspective. But it also just makes me, like, uncomfortable. I don't really want to read it, you know? Uh, yeah, I... I... There was a time in my early 20s where a lot of my friends were talking about Lolita and everybody seemed to have a copy of it on their bookshelf, but it just never, a lot of those Russian writers, honestly, never, I never really took to. Um, oh, I love either uh, because Dostoevsky. A lot of people love Dostoevsky. And I would like to read, he did what, uh, Crime and Punishment? Or Crime is that Punishment. Tolstoy? Yeah, he did Crime and Punishment and uh, The Brothers Karamazov. Okay, both books that have become have been highly recommended to me. Uh, Chad both very long books. In the day. Russian, Russian writers love writing long books. I think it's those long Russian winners. What else do you have to do but write? Yeah, yeah, you just got to type, type, type. I myself am dealing with a little bit of writer's block, which I think is sort of the what we're going to get to. Yeah, that's a big thing of the song. Uh, I know Nabokov is a huge influence on Nick Cave, as of, I'm guessing, most of these people, but I heard him tell a story one time of his dad reading him Lolita, and that being like his favorite book as a kid, which probably leads to a lot of the depravity of the birthday party and early bad seeds. So yeah, next, absolutely. next we have St. John of the Cross, another uh, poet slash writer, uh, he was Christian, but I know he had some like mystical aspects to sort of his whole deal. He was imprisoned by the church, by the Protestant church, I believe, and tortured. So, yeah, that was during like the Reformation times, I believe. I don't know super, I don't know a lot about that kind of time, but churches have always been fucking torturing people. I know that. I don't have anything to add about that character. <laughs> I hadn't heard about him until today. <laughs> uh, then we have Johnny Thunders, who was in the New York Dolls, one of the first punk bands from New York City. Uh, he, I know, had a lot of heroin issues. The funny thing is he didn't write the song Chinese Rocks. Uh, Richard Hell and D.D. Ramone wrote that song. But I, I do appreciate him throwing in, you know, He's referencing all these like literary giants. I I think it's really cool either in like a punk rock dude saying that he appreciates that aspect just as much as like classic poetry. I think that's cool. Then we got. I love that uh, Johnny Thunder song, Chinese Road. Chinese rocks. Or Chinese rocks. My bad. Edit that out. <laughs> I don't want to look like fucking uh, dweeb. Um, then, uh, I listened to that song like two or three times. It's great. Great. Great song. Personality Crisis is another song by them that's like a seminal punk rock song. Then we got Karl Marx. I don't really need to explain that. Cap, uh, not capitalism. I had one thing I wanted to add about that. So Go ahead. I thought, how crazy is it that you can just be sitting on the toilet, like, wiping your ass, and you just start thinking about, like, 
some guy who was like popping boils while he was writing this big totemic piece of like basically at the time countercultural like politics. Yeah. But now Marxism is just a word. Like I I just I think it's sort of in my own like self delusional need to be remembered. Uh I just for this re- this like reference in particular is cool because everybody wants to be remembered and like Marxism is such a huge thing that like he wrote that book in the 1800s, right? I'm not sure. That sounds Here, like I'll, I'll look it up. Um but as far as like what that has to do with the general like tone of there she goes, I don't necessarily think, I think it's only just that like writing is really okay. So the book was published in 1867. So we're now in 2020, mm-hmm. which would mean it's, it's almost 150 years old. So these are like, he's like referencing these like totemic, like, creatives and like people who have likely influenced him and we know that at least in the past nick cave was pretty anti-cop i'd assume that he probably still is um but he's probably just older and more concerned with his artwork like creating i mean i think it's hard to be a creative person and not be anti the idea of a cop like i don't like cops. yeah like actual cops like mental cops like anything that tries to police you fuck that i think most creative people are of that mindset for sure. Yeah. So that's all I was going to mention is I, I just was thinking about this song earlier while I was on the pot and I was like, wow, like just imagine your name is like, even if every, everything gets wiped off the face of the earth and all of the work that humans have done to like restore and save things on digital hard drives, like all of that gets wiped eventually. There's yeah. still going to be somebody who's going to know about Marxism because it's still talked about in modern politics. It's villainized, but um, anyway. But so going on, so going on to Paul, uh, we have Paul Gauguin who uh, uh-huh. is associated a lot with Van Gogh. Some people think there might have been a romance there. He abandoned his family. I don't know about abandoned necessarily. I don't know if he had kids, but he left his family and all his friends behind and. Uh, Nick Cave says went all tropical, like he just went to live out in the middle of nowhere and paint. We have Philip Larkin, who's another poet who I think was actually like extremely famous in his lifetime, but he just worked at some random library for like his whole life and decided not to live that life of fame. And then finally, we have Dylan Thomas, who is probably like the most famous of these poets, I would guess. Uh, Phoebe Bridgers and Connor Oberst, their little super group, Better Oblivion Community Center, had a song last year called Dylan Thomas. It's great. Uh, he died also very early. He was an alcoholic. He wrote the poem, Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night, that if you watch sports, every fucking sports package to like hype you up about a game has some ominous voiceover reading that poem. That's kind of cool. But yeah, so... There's a theme here. All these people were kind of fucked up. Like, they suffered. They either had to, like, they got famous and couldn't deal with it, and they went off to do something else, or they had drug problems. Like, you know, there's an obvious theme he's talking about here. Like, I think it's bullshit when we talk about that, like, 
suffering artist, like to make good art, you have to suffer. But most creative people suffered a lot in their lives. Most of the people I know that are creative are way more fucked up than the people who aren't. And that's just the way it is. Like, I'm not saying you have to be a messed up person to create something great. But a lot of the times, the facts are the facts. That is how it ends up. I just got chills. So um, I want I want to get a little personal here, if you don't mind. What? So at least in my parallel Earth, we were in band together in middle school. What did that happen here? Yeah. So so you don't hear you played talk. saxophone. Okay, there I played uh, viola, but you don't have to get. So I know how you started playing music, but like, do you remember what in your life made you want to? create art or like made you want to write something for the purpose of someone else to hear and enjoy. I remember being on the school bus and this was shortly after I'd gotten an iPod. My dad got me an iPod for Christmas and he, he engraved it. Mm -hmm. He had it engraved with my name in our, in my high school (laughs) and my graduating class. And this was before I had graduated. Um, and it's crazy to think I graduated in 2009, but, um, I remember listening to, I liked, you know, heavy like music, but I also liked like sort of flowery, like emo vocals. So Mm -hmm. I remember listening to Coheed and Cambria and just imagining myself on stage, like playing those songs for people. And the reason I got started in music is because one of my best friends in middle school was uh, this guy named Matt and he played guitar and he was like the coolest kid ever to me. Like my whole life, I always thought he was like so cool. And I always, we hung out all the time and, you know, he had this sort of like mythos about him to a lot of my friends who we'd all known each other through elementary school up until, you know, we all graduated high school. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was like, I wanted to get better because he was good at his instruments and it's almost unexplainable. Like I wanted to just, I just wanted to be good at my instrument. Like I wanted to be as good at guitar as anyone else. I was, that's why when I, when I, when I was in a band later in life, it was hard because I strived to be like more so like as busy as possible on the guitar. Like, yeah. Not, which we talked and about then that in the last episode, I believe. And now it's more so like even in the more production based music I'm making, I try to allow, like I do still have way too many layers, but some of my best songs are the ones that just let parts breathe yeah, we just like all that space. That's a great question, Ian. I just um Hey, look, this worked out perfectly. I didn't know how you were gonna answer that. I have the same exact fucking thing. I remember in middle school, like you know, I got a CD player at some point, probably in like fourth or fifth grade, and then any money I got for my birthdays or whatever, I would buy CDs. And I remember just like being on the bus and just listening to like it was probably like rancid or AFI sing the sorrow and just like imagining like fuck man what if that was me like what if I was playing those songs 
and there were all these people in the crowd like singing along and I think that's a very common thing. I think if we asked most of the people we know that make music or Haley paints or like any of the people we know that create art, they probably had a similar experience where they were like, what if that was me? And I brought that emotion out of people. And that's why I think if you're a creative person, this is probably one of your favorite Nick Cave songs. This is so fucking universal of just having that like, deep desire to move people. He says, I just want to move the world. Like you just feel like you have something to say and you just want, it's not even what you're saying. That's important so much as you want other people to hear you and recognize you. And it's just like this, you know, communal experience. Going back to exist. Going back to the, like from what you're saying, going back to the sort of like white album cover, Mm-hmm. It reminds me a lot that there's like a fresh start happening on this record, but there's also like a youthfulness to it. And I think part of the reason that I, I picked up guitar was that I never really cared about the aspect of like being noticed by like girls or women really. Like I was kind of a late bloomer on the dating scene. Mm-hmm. I, I just, um, I liked being good at something because up yeah. until that point, I mostly just like rode my bike and played video games and watched TV and movies and was just kind of a chubby kid. And I, I liked my friends, but like I just desperately wanted to be liked and to be cool. And for me, guitar was what I could do to make people, to help make people pay attention to me because I felt like, you know, I didn't go to a high school that really like valued talent in that way very much. Mm -hmm. And even when I would tell people like, Oh, I'm really good at guitar. They would not, they wouldn't, they didn't really seem to care. Um, weren't good at sports until, you know, yeah. Cause I wasn't good at sports or I didn't like talking about sports or because I wasn't like a super masculine kid. You know, I I used to, I remember one time this happened in my school all the time. I remember telling Haley this, there's just one fucking kid who just walked up to me and hit me as hard as he could in my shoulder. So much so that my arm was numb for like 20 minutes afterwards. And that happened to me often in high school. Just, and I just put it away, you know, like I probably cried a little bit. And then I was just like, but after that I'd get on the bus and I'd put my headphones on and I wouldn't remember any of that. I would just imagine myself playing guitar and people watching me and like making other people happy, but like making myself happy, like presenting this song that at the time, you know, I hadn't written the songs that I was like imagining myself playing, but yeah, it it's, it was an escape. And I think that for a lot of people in regards to this song, the gospelness of it is like really true to how you feel when you create something that you're proud of because exactly I whenever same thing you feel powerful whenever you, I send something off to you guys whenever I finish working on something mm-hmm. um, I'm always like I know it's not perfect but I'm like I can't fucking believe I made this like it sounds really cool the drums are way better than the last song I did. Um, 
you know, I've been trying to get like chisel my writing stone because it got, you know, it grew a couple more layers. So I have to chisel through that layer to like find something that I can write about again that I like enjoy writing about. But eventually when I get there, you know, I, I need to work on that prompt from months ago. But in closing, because I, I don't want to go on too long, I, I think that the the sort of like that's a really good way to take the song because I took it more so that it was about like you may not be recognized for that in your lifetime, but you might be recognized for it after you die. And I wonder how it feels to be someone like Nick Cave, who's often regarded as like the best songwriter of our time. There's definitely some of that, you know, he says, give me everlasting life. Like a lot of it is dealing with like living on beyond your death for sure. Like people who create music, the reason that I like making music or writing is that there's always going to be, there's going to be something left that will prove that I did what I loved. And I, I think that's what the core meaning of this song is. Exactly. I think it's the same, you know, again, I'm no big city neurologist, but I think it might be the same part of our brain that like where people have the desire to have kids. Like it's that desire to pass yourself on to the next generation and I think art serves the same purpose. It's like to put a stamp on the world. Like I was here and I contributed something. It's so, I don't know about you. It was hard for me to think about talking about this song and not think about the cursive album, the Ellie organ, which I would recommend to anyone who hasn't heard because they're kind of two sides of the same coin, right? You have like the cursive song art is hard, which is talking about the same topic but in a very cynical way. I think this song is talking about making art in like a, a jubilant way, uh, pun intended. So I hear like the chorus, there she goes in my beautiful world. Uh, you could probably hear it as like, there goes my muse leaving. Like I can't, I have writer's block. But I think it means way more like, there she goes again. As Aaron Weiss says, there I go again. Showing off again. Showing off again. <laughs> Uh, I think it's more like, there she goes again, like, my beautiful world, my muse, like, inspiring me. I think it's a very happy song. Yeah, it never feels, this is one of the few Nick Cave songs we've listened to so far that doesn't feel, uh, like, incredibly sad. Like, it feels very happy. There's really no, like, there's no sadness to it. It's it's mostly, like, it's, like... I love that, that section where he says, so if you got a trumpet, get on your feet and blow it. If you've got a feel, don't yield. We'll get up and hoe it. And I really needed to hear that just now, even though I listened to the song like six times last night. And that's then that, it says, uh, I, that's that humor that I don't think people, uh, give Nick Cave enough credit for. It's like a well, really I read, silly line, but also says a lot. I read uh, a couple of reviews about the album and a lot of people mentioned that there's a very tongue in cheek, like humorous quality to the lyrics on this record. Once again, I wonder my favorite favorite lyrics. It's so funny, but so touching. What's the record. What's the song he played in the concert last week where he mentions Miley Cyrus. That's uh, Higgs boson blues on uh, push the sky away. Okay, so this song reminded me most of that one because some of these lines are so silly and kind of... I would say from this album until 
till then he is just killing it with like these funny little lines that he'd never really did before when he was funny in the past like murder ballads has a lot of like humor but it's like very crass and vulgar and this is just like silly there's a there's like and then there's the whole thing about I will be your slave, I will peel you grapes up on your pedestal with your ivory and apes, with your redacted, oh, come on, send that stuff on yeah, down wanted, to me. So I wanted to talk to you about that. What do you know about um, alchemy? Redacted. Uh, Again, I'm no big city alchemist, but I know it's, redacted. The, process, it's the process of turning something into gold. Do you know anything about how to do that? Redacted. Do you did you see any similarities to this song to the song "Have You Considered Anything Else" by Self Defense Family? Is, it's the one the, where is that the first one where he's talking about his girlfriend getting a dog? I love that song. That's that's not it. You're gonna know it immediately. It's the I'm one that references all the the various artists that Patrick Kinlan either likes oh, it's or one, it's the one that references Nick Cave and Kate Bush. You're a big uh, you're big on wordplay into the arms of Nick Cave. Um, I thought I, it was worth bringing that line up. It's perfect. Yeah, perfect I mean, way I to didn't, describe it. I didn't think of that, but for sure. I mean, this is well, the kind of song it, he's talking about. It's the probably. same structure. It's the same structure. He's talking. This is this song is about is also like kind of about writer's block. You know, explaining motherhood to a man, cold observations, but he's not capable of understanding. Detailing math to a dog. Won't retain a word if you're lucky, but he may be a good diet, good boy, and nod. So it's he's like so fucking good at writing, Patrick Kinlan. He's a great writer. He so basically what he's saying though is that I don't know if I told you this story on the last podcast. So if you so listeners, I'm sorry if you've heard this before. There's a there's a an idea in writing generally where people are like, why can't I get an idea? I just need inspiration. Like, mm-hmm. please, like, let's just use God here. It's the easiest thing. And Nick Cave would enjoy the, you know, Christian allegory. But, like, why God? Like, send me my muse. Like, send me, like, my purpose. Like, what am I, like, give me an idea. I just need an idea. And so, you know, he's sitting there. He's, like, looking up to the sky, and this boat comes out of nowhere. And you're like, hey, hey, here, you know, we're here to save you. You know, you're stuck on this. He's stuck on the island. I should have mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's just, so... I just kind of ruined the fucking analogy of it, but basically you're stuck on an island. You're looking for help and people keep sending you help, but you keep sending it away. Yeah. And those things that you send away are the ideas that could turn into something. And I think even myself included, I'm break, I'm trying to break the habit. It's like, if you get an idea, don't worry about having to write the whole story down, but keep it, keep something with you because you're not going to get the whole cookie they're going to give you like some of the chocolate chips mm-hmm. and then you can take the chocolate chips and then you go find some almond milk and some fucking sugar and flour. Right. And you start gathering all these, these things from the grocery store, these ideas from your muse where it's like, well, I need flour today. It's like, okay, cool. You know, Oh, I got you the flour. Um, consider that like, what's going on here is like, you know, the whole purpose of writing is that you don't, the things that get handed to you, you're almost never paying attention to. Yeah. I mean, that's so well put the, if you got a trumpet, get on your feet and blow it. Like, yeah, it's, 
this song hits me on such a deep level because I feel like it's all the angst I feel as a person. Uh, especially now, just like it hits me even harder because of coronavirus. Like I fantasize so much about being able to play a show right now. And like, as I was listening to this to get ready for the podcast, I was doing that same thing you would do Jake when you were a kid, but I was doing it as an adult, like imagining, uh, what if I was in the bad seats, like playing the song at a show? Like, I was just like, I would kill to be playing music on a stage right now. And this song just like speaks to that yearning. It just hits me so deep. After watching the concert last week, this was a great song to go to go into because it's so energetic and it feels, you know, it feels like a live performance again. And for anybody that didn't hear in the beginning of the episode, we did uh, a YouTube video that we uploaded last week of the idiot prayer concert. If you want to see what I'm talking about, it's online. Or do you want to see what we look like? Well, you can see what I look like. Ian is covered up, but he is wearing glasses so he can see through his mask. It's the whole thing with Batman where they're like, is Batman the real person or is Bruce Wayne the real person? You You know, know, speaking of Batman, maybe the mask is me. You guys, Batman is not wearing proper COVID-19 gear. Has anyone addressed that with him? I don't don't care if you're Killer Croc. I don't care if you're Killer Croc, Penguin, Mr. Freeze, Batman. He's covering his whole face except for his nose and mouth. Yep. He's literally doing the exact opposite of what you should do. Whereas yep. a true hero like an Ian McCurtis is covering his whole face. Exactly. And I was really proud of you for taking such a political stance. <laughs> you know, like it's a subtle it's message. It's bold right now. It's worth Like saying. to wear a mask during a pandemic. Wow. Like, dude, you're a hero. Like, uh, a lot of people, they don't wear masks and they know what they're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. This message brought to you by Jubilee Street Podcast. Um, hey. Wear a mask, guys. It's a fucking pandemic. It's not a joke. Um, be more like Ian. Be less like 45 or your fucking Aunt Natalie who watched the wrong church stream. Uh, hey, and yeah. And yeah, I'm watching the wrong yeah, church stream again. Yeah, they said on the church stream that uh, masks don't protect us from anything. <laughs> and um, anyway, uh, anything else we should mention about this song? I hit on all the points I wanted to bring up. Uh, guys, watch the live performances of "There She Goes, My Beautiful World." You can just type it into YouTube, and you'll find a couple of different performances. They're all incredible, and because we can't go to concerts right now. It's a nice experience. Yeah, I really have nothing else. I I would say just fucking put on this song and like I know right now with everything going on in the world it's hard to feel inspired, but like man, put on this song and then go fucking make something. Like this song gets me so pumped up to like write or record or like whatever I need to do. This like reminds me of why it's worth doing. I'm inspired now. And guys, Ian and I were talking before we started recording. Capitalism really fucks with your head and it's fun to buy things. And if you're privileged enough to have spending money and you can buy nice things from time to time, you know, I bought myself a a new comic book today. I bought a, a new volume of the goon, but your value is not intrinsically tied to that. And don't 
we're we're really on the cusp of people starting to figure out that like there are other there are ways you can live a fulfilling life. And this song, when Nick Cave's letting go of the My Beautiful World, that's when you let a song out into the atmosphere and then it just becomes everybody else's. So keep in mind that like even if you don't write a song today or write your next like book or like if you planted something, if you went outside, if you went on a walk or a run or you exercised, maybe you made some delicious food, like just find meaning in all of those things because just being alive is what this song's about. That's why there's a gospel choir. He was like really swinging for the fences. All the reviewers were like, wow, even for Nick Cave, this is a pretty big you know, change in sound. He hired a gospel choir. <laughs> and it's like, for me, it does. It makes perfect I sense. Like, pork like, voice. Yeah. It, it, well, thank you. That's what it was from. But <laughs> um, yeah, it's really not as good as the O uh, three Greedo record, but it's uh, it's pretty <laughs> close. Um, Kenny Beats just really nice about production. But I mean, he does though. He does. I'm not shitting on Kenny Beats. He's he and he's a good guy. I, I saw that video he did where he sent that kid like a bunch of home recording stuff with a bunch of his music buddies. Oh, I didn't see that, but that's awesome. He's a heartwarming guy. Uh, at first, I wasn't sure how to feel about Kenny Beats, but he makes he works. He's made some of the best. He, he's worked on some of the best records that came out this year, like that Denzel Curry. Oh, dude, so uh, fucking good. It it's not my favorite release of his but what i like about it is i really like the idea of musicians getting together in a room and maybe making something in a day and then like just being like okay fuck it let's just drop it because it's not a perfect release it feels very disjointed but like our brains are so wired for quick entertainment that now and i think kanye tapped into that when he started doing those like 20 minute records and i love that i think you you know I don't mind long records, but being somebody that grew up listen, I listen to like prog and punk, so like short albums, I've always appreciated it. Like Joyce Maynard has an album that's like less than fifteen minutes. I love that. If you can write, you can. You should be able to write a great song in a minute. And if you can't, keep working on it. That's yeah, my challenge to I mean, listeners. I think it's the same energy. So obviously Nick Cave is not that person. He's not going to no, write no, no. a 15 minute album, but no. he is going to write songs that are like huge and ambitious, but only have like two instruments. It's that same yeah. energy of, like, of knowing of not doing too much. If your song is really catchy and you're at 45 seconds, fuck it. Like maybe that's all it needs to be. I'm sure I've said this in the past on the pod so far, but he and everyone he, re- he recruits for this band, they're all so good at being tasteful this is a tasteful band all of this is tasteful even the stuff that's like explicitly over the top like for nick cave to hire a choir like for me totally makes sense it's in character but like for everybody else uh that like it's just he he it, it just fits it works like and also why hasn't nick cave like been in a movie playing a guy like like a like a carnival like announcer or or like um you know that like uh dick cheney movie that came out last year yeah that was a good movie what what if you made a movie about that like a movie like that but about a televangelist and you cast nick cave i would watch that movie in a heartbeat i don't i I don't know how great he would be at acting but 
if it's anything like his stage performances, it would be really like he wouldn't be able to stop moving his hands. He'd be like Ricky Bobby in uh, Talladega Nights. Uh, so you want to get to ratings? Uh, yeah, I'm going to give this song. Okay. So we've been hyping up this song the whole time. And when I was signing on to start the podcast, I probably wasn't going to rate it that high. But today, I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10. It's, it's not perfect to me, but I was going to give it probably a 7. But after talking to you about it, I, I thought it was great. This song means so much to me. Like, I was so excited to do this episode. This album, really, like this era of Nick Cave, I think because he's starting to write these songs where, like, this song speaks to the listener. It's it, there's a little bit of like breaking the fourth wall. It feels very direct. I almost want to like break the rating system and give it an eleven out of ten. Yeah, you can. This is your podcast. You can break the rules. That's what I'm going to do. Like this, you're like Jamie Fox breaking all the rules. Is everything I like? This gives me everything I want from a great punk song, like an against me song or something but also gives me what I love in Nick Cave. It's like everything I love distilled into one thing. Couldn't say enough good things about this song. And we just spent an hour or whatever saying good things. Did we spend an hour? Have you heard the new Taylor Swift record? Haley showed me a couple of songs. I'm not crazy about it. I think it's bullshit. I saw a couple of things about it, like being kind of... People are throwing around the word performative recently. Um, I think it's very performative. I think it's timely. I think she probably had good intentions, but I think Taylor Swift kind of had her foot in her mouth from the songs that I heard. It's not a bad record. It sounds really good. It sounds good, but it sounds good because every decision made on that album, to me, feels like 50 people were sitting in a room debating over the decision. It feels like a record made by committee. Like, nothing is surprising. Nothing feels risky. And that's fine. But I don't like that it's being marketed as this, like, indie alternative folk album. Like, she's taking this these big leaps as a songwriter. She worked with that guy from The National, right? Yeah. That's cool. Feels, I think it, it could have been safe. a lot better with a guy like that on there. It just makes... I don't like how it's being marketed. It makes me mad. There's so many great people doing that sound. There's bands like Big Thief. There's people like Phoebe Bridgers and Julian Baker. And she's straight up ripping off what they do and doing a meaningless version of it. Taylor Swift has been trying really hard to stay in the spotlight for the last at least five years. And I think if she just stuck more to like... Dude, I was more genuine to her. It just doesn't always feel genuine. I don't, I don't want to like, if you like her, that's cool. I'm not trying to like shit talk her fans or her really like she wants to be a huge star, whatever, more power to you. I feel like the last album was clearly pandering to like the gay community, which she had never spoke out in support of before. And she panders to them ropes in that audience. Now that she, with this album, She's like, hey, there's all these people that grew up listening to me when they were a teenager, but now they like indie music. 
let me try to rope those people back in. And it just feels like capitalism as a musician. Like, let me try to get every single person on earth to like me and ultimately give me money. I don't know. I just want to see uh, what you brutal. thought about it. I didn't, I didn't mean to go off on this tangent. No, it's okay. I, I liked where you're going with it. Um, I don't really have anything else to add. I don't really have any interest in Taylor Swift. Uh, yeah, we talked uh, about I, that longer than I meant to. Uh, it, it's okay. The listeners, you know, guys write in. What do you think about Taylor Swift? Let us know. <laughs> you know, uh, how, does, how does she relate to Nick Cave to you? Does she like Nick Cave? Have you heard anything about that? Like, uh, here's my thing. If Taylor Swift is going to do a collaboration with anyone, she needs to do it with, like, Sophie or... That's what just I was like, like, or like, like one of tricks point never, or just someone weird. Like she put, has the put someone on a pedestal that deserves it. Working with yeah. Bon Iver means nothing to me. No, yeah, fuck that. I don't care with, about Bon Iver. If she worked with Sophie and put her on like a national huge spotlight, that would be fucking yeah. awesome. That's what that's, that is the only thing that Kanye really had going for him on the last couple records is that. That's he hip hop in his, general. Hip hop has yeah. this mentality of when you succeed, you lift up people that haven't succeeded yet and you get them there. Pop music, if, when you succeed, you stay in your safe zone and you only collaborate with people that have already succeeded. You know, it's like he put Chance the Rapper on one of his best songs. Now Chance the Rapper is super he was already pretty successful, but that helped him, you know, and and that's the thing, is like it just kind of seems like how is Taylor Swift so out of touch and she's our age? Mm-hmm. And she works in the music industry. I know, like, once you work in the music industry, you're probably only concerned about creating your own music. But I don't know, like, if I were to ever get that far, I would definitely, like, put up my boundaries and be like, listen, y'all, I got to listen to whatever I want. And I'm not going to keep making the same kind of shit. Um, so I got a couple things I want to plug. And I'll, I'll put my links in there. And then you can uh, add anything else. And then we'll close it out. So, guys... Uh, I just want to say this is like a personal thing and I, there probably aren't like that many people listening to this, but I, I, I feel like I at least owe it to the people I work with and myself to say, do not shop for whole foods right now or honestly ever again, whole foods. I have four confirmed COVID cases and it's at like uh, one of the stores in San Diego, California, uh, La Jolla. They are not closing the store to clean it. All they're telling us is that people, these people have been in the store last like 12 or 14 days ago. They're not like they, like they, they temp everybody who comes in the store, but we're not temping customers. Customers are being allowed into the store without a mask. Uh, and they took away hazard pay. I don't see people cleaning that often. And when they do, it's mostly just somebody who is like, from the customer service end who's stressed, who's just kind of wiping down handles and glass and like stuff that customers handle all day. Um, Listen, this isn't a warehouse situation. We're not in a sweatshop, but they're mistreating their employees. They're gaslighting us. They're, I've heard multiple times, like they're giving out these uh, bonuses this week on our next paycheck. And there's one person I work with who, because they lost her paperwork in quotes, she's not going to get her full bonus. And when she complained about that, somebody brought up the fact that she had called out the day before and just made it as if she hadn't asked a question at all. She just kept 
you know, berating her about calling out and being like, well, where, where were you Saturday? Where were you Saturday? Where were you Saturday? And then she's just like, I don't know. Like, I, like, I called out. I was sick. Like, why aren't you answering my question about this? So Whole Foods leadership and, like, they do not care about their employees. And they are praying that no one ever speaks up because as soon as they do a they're gonna have they're gonna fire them they're gonna fire anybody that tries to do anything or speak up and b it's gonna be an unsafe shopping atmosphere for customers because i don't know about you but if i'm gonna go shop somewhere i want to know the store has been thoroughly cleaned before i go now do i do my homework every time i go to trader joe's no i'll go to a trader joe's and i'll make sure and wear my mask so Point of the story is, guys, take your business elsewhere. I know that Kroger, Ralph's, Vaughn's, Trader Joe's, like all of those are corporations. You know, Kroger's on record to donate money to the police department. I know we can't be perfect in all our decisions, but I just feel like I just want to say fuck Whole Foods, fuck Amazon, fuck Jeff Bezos. Uh, I still do have a Prime account, but I I don't use it anymore. And... um, I, I plan on letting the membership roll out at the end of the year. So, uh, guys, there's way better places to send your money. I buy stuff on eBay from people on there. Um, I bought a game the other week. I'm, I'm going to buy a pair of shoes. You can get everything you need on there. Go to eBay, buy from a local seller. Uh, I don't want to go on too long about that with that because I don't want the podcast to be just ungodly long. Um, check out the self-titled Link Ray. L-I-N-K-W-R-A-Y album. It's from 1971, I think. It's that guy who's famous for that one, like, sort of surfy song from Pulp Fiction. It's like, um, I listened to the whole record, like, like, I listened to it one and then, like, one and a half times. <laughs> great record uh and then watch better things on fx it's available on hulu it's got pamela adlon in it who was in louis ck show and um i know controversial topic but it's just her in the show he did have a hand in producing and writing it but i fucking love that show it's got a very dark sense of humor to it but it's about like raising kids and working in hollywood it's it's awesome so yeah check me out check me out at she was also the voice of bobby hill um Check me out at uh, GabrielHa720 at gmail.com. Follow me at OrangeGemini underscore on Instagram. And uh, make sure and email us. Uh, Keep in touch. We love hearing from you guys. We heard from our friend Kurt this week. He uh, shared our podcast on the Nick K Fan Club on Facebook. Thanks, Kurt. Shout out. Um, Yeah, that's it for me, guys. Thanks for listening to the pod. And, um, yeah, Jubilee Street. Uh, you can find all my shit at linktree slash Ian McCurtis linktr.ee slash Ian McCurtis I just put out a Nick Cave cover of Idiot Prayer actually it's my first release on this earth this reality it's on that's Spotify. earth 616 yeah if it's on Spotify uh, if you just type in Ian McCurtis you'll find it I also have a music video for that. It's on YouTube. Check that shit out. Yeah. Uh, and I also want to say, hey, Tom. Good night, you guys. Have a good one.